I'm Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm at Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Today's guest on the podcast is Ted Boutros. Ted Boutros, I'm really excited to have you on. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really delighted to be with you. Ted, you have a really interesting career. You're a partner at Gibson Dunn, which is a multinational firm, and you head up several, several of the different practice groups, the appellate practice group, the crisis management practice group, the transactional litigate, the, the transnational lit- litigation group. Yeah, that's really easy to say, um, <laughs> as well as the media groups. You are also the host of the Two Ted's podcast, where which you host with the former Solicitor General of the United States, Ted Olson, which is a pretty cool podcast. <laughs> and you're the you're you're the, a guy who gets a lot of awards. There's a lots of <laughs> I try <laughs> lots of I'm certain you don't ask for them, but a lot of publications have named you top this, top that, and, and my favorite a claim that was for, for about you was Hollywood reporter named you Trump's biggest first amendment nemesis. I don't know how you got that, but it sounds awesome. That was so, one of my favorite ones too. I, I like that. I like that title. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk to you today about defamation and you're an expert on this area. And what got me thinking about this was all these recent lawsuits that we're seeing about defamation, there's celebrity lawsuits, there's company lawsuits, there's politicians lawsuits. And I got to thinking about two of the most famous ongoing lawsuits going right now, which are the Dominion voting, the smart Smartmatic. And they sued anyone and everyone under the sun, it seemed like. One of these people was famously called the Kraken lawyer, Sidney Powell, Fox News, Judy Liani, Mike Lindell, the pillow guy. And there's a list of them. And I started thinking about this and I thought thought to myself, you know, if the allegations aren't true, this will be so easy, so easy for Smartmatic and Dominion voting if it's not true. And my friend looks at me and he's like, you're off your rocker. It's never easy to win defamation in the United States. And I said, well, to tell me about that. And he says, well, it's just really hard. And he, and, and it really didn't make sense to me, but then I thought, ah, I'm going to have Ted on the show. What does it take to win a defamation action? I know that's pretty general, but what does it take? It's a really great question because when defamation actions are brought, they're, they're, the plaintiff, the person bringing the case who says, I've been defamed, is asking the courts to get involved with punishing speech and awarding damages for speech. And that triggers the First Amendment to the Constitution. And the Supreme Court held back in the 60s that the First Amendment imposes all sorts of requirements on top of the legal requirements that state law would apply. And so that would include First, the plaintiff has to show that there was a false statement of fact 
can't be an opinion. It can't be you know, rhetorical flourish. And the, the plaintiff has to prove that it's false. And, and the First Amendment requires them to prove that the statement is false. If the defendant doesn't have to prove it's true, um, then if, it, if the defendant is a public, uh, excuse me, if the plaintiff is a public figure, someone famous, someone, a public official, and that can apply to companies, um, they have to prove under the U.S. Constitution that the, the, the statement, the false statement, was made with what's called actual malice, and that's knowledge that it was false. So you've got to prove that, you know, so-and-so knew what they were saying about you was false and that it was harmful uh, and, or that they recklessly disregarded that. They have to show that with clear, the plaintiff has to show that with clear and convincing evidence, not the usual, what's called the preponderance of the evidence. Then you have to show damages and you have to show that damages were caused by that statement. Um, and, and so it's a series of you know, hurdles that are very difficult to meet, even when someone seems to have a very strong case. Let me take you away from those cases for a second. Let's say Bob Sewell has a plumbing business, okay? And someone goes out and says the most horrible things about Bob Sewell's plumbing business. And now the Bob Sewell Plumbing Company is being accused of being uh, a thief, uh, cheat, and my business starts to go down. And they put it all over social media and whatever, conspiracy theories, whatever about Bob Sewell, the plumbing jerk face. What am I going to have? What am I going to have to prove for damages? It's, it's, it's a very interesting component of basically business defamation. And there generally most states require proof of specific losses. And again, you know, the, which customers did you lose? How much do you, you lose? You have to prove that you were at, the business was actually harmed. Some businesses are deemed public figures uh, because they're, you know, well-known companies. So you might have to meet those actual malice standards. So it's an even higher burden under those circumstances, generally for a, for business defamation. Uh, and that's why, you know, I'm, I'm generally a, a, a lawyer defending libel suits. And when people come to me and talk about bringing a libel suit, I, I tend to out do what we're doing today is outline, look, th these are very difficult cases to prove. You're also opening yourself up to discovery. So your plumbing company, um, yeah. we get to the, the defendant, we get to say, well, let's see if you're a good or a bad company. Turn off, turn it all, give us all of the information. So they can be very, very difficult cases. So, but if someone says something that's not true, you know, Bob Sewell stole, Bob Sewell Plumbing sent in a plumber and they stole my grandma's ring. I know it. I know they did it. It's, you know, before... Bob Sewell's employee went in and after, you know, it, it was, it was there, then it's gone. And I know Bob Sewell did it. And well, how do I know I don't have that ring? How do I prove that it's false? Cause I have to prove that what that guy's saying is false. Right. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's um, difficult to prove uh, falsity. Sometimes it's not. I, I actually, sometimes have brought defamation cases. I have one right now for the actor Ashley Judd against Harvey Weinstein. 
Oh, because, my. Yeah, yes. And, and, and <clears throat> this dates back to uh, the mid-90s when um, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein uh, told uh, producers of uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy not to hire Ashley because she was difficult to work with. She was a nightmare to work with, blah, 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 blah. Fast forward to a few years ago when the stories of Harvey Weinstein harassing and assaulting women, including harassing Ashley, came out. Um, it turned out it, it, the producer said that they now understood that he was just retaliating against her, falsely making these statements about her. She was great. She's great to work with. So there we have witnesses and who you know heard the statements, and and we have other statements, for example, by Harvey Weinstein showing that he thought Ashley Judd was great. But it can it can so you can prove falsity, and you know to me that's a classic defamation case where someone just maliciously maligns the person in a way you can demonstrate is false. One of the things I found fascinating in defamation law, let's say that I've seen media figures and some other public figures use this. And they say, no one would take me seriously. No reasonable person would believe I was telling the truth. What is that about? We see those clips in the media, and mm -hmm. therefore, I, <laughs> I, we know it's not the full story. What is that all about? That that seems to be the the, the new thing. So Sidney Powell, who you mentioned, uh, and others are saying, well, we were making just absolutely false statements about the ele presidential election, but no one would have believed us, uh, and that that's really a difficult claim to make. In, in that circumstance, because they were making factual statements. They weren't giving their opinion. They weren't, you know, calling someone a name. They weren't being, you know, funny. They were saying as a matter of fact uh, that, that the election was stolen, that the election was rigged. That's a really tough claim. And, and there is a situation where if, let's say, you know, Bob Sewell was doing a comedy routine and makes a statement about someone and it's clear from the context that you're joking, that you're being, you know, you know caustic and, and, and funny there, or you're offering your, your views of something, your opinion about some faction, some event, then that's a very strong argument. That's a classic argument where you can say that the context made it clear you were just offering your own views, you were being funny, you were being, you know, you were arguing rhetorical hyperbole. Sydney Powell, it's not enough to say, I said something so false, so outrageous, no one would believe it. That's not enough. What they're trying to get at in that law, not necessarily Sidney Powell, but generally, they're trying to get that person who's up there making a sarcastic statement or non-factual statement. That's what that is about? It, that's generally where it is. So sometimes the, the classic example, there, there's a Supreme Court case where someone said that the, the person was engaging in blackmail. And the Supreme Court said, well, everybody knew they were talking about, you know, in a political context and they weren't really talking about actual yeah. blackmail or someone calls someone else a traitor. You know, we, everybody knows it was you know, two people sitting on a park bench. They weren't saying you betrayed the United States and you should <laughs> yeah. be put to death, right? right and so right, it's right, from right. the context. Um, and so the Supreme Court, again, to protect people's free speech rights, because we don't want, and you were so right about this outbreak of libel suits, which can really, if everyone has to think 
two or three times before they speak and debate and argue that chills their speech and, and raises real First Amendment questions. So the Supreme Court has adopted these doctrines. But what the what the Supreme Court has not said is that is that if you make false factual statements uh, that that somehow because there's you, you later claim they were so false that no one would believe them, that that's a that's a tough sell. I want to continue on down this road a little bit. If I'm the comedian, like you said, and I'm and I do a motion to dismiss and say no reasonable person would actually believe that Bob Sewell was making a factual statement. Uh, everyone knows that Bob was making a joke. Look at the context, you idiots type thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I start out with that. And the judge says motion to dismiss denied. Have I now stated forever and permanent in that case that I was a liar at that moment? Or do I get to later go back and argue and say, no, I really was telling the truth because that guy really is a total dirtbag? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, a, it's a great question because there, at the motion to dismiss stage, you you still might get to go to a jury. You know, So if you try to dismiss it, um, the, the judge's ruling on a motion to dismiss, excuse me, dismiss, just means that you didn't meet the standards for getting an outright dismissal on the law. Even if you go to a jury, uh, if the jury says, uh, no, you know, you lose your libel case. Uh, the guy said you were a liar, but you lose. That just means that you didn't meet the standards, which, as we discussed, can be very difficult to meet. And that happened to Johnny Depp, right? I mean, he went, it was a different jurisdiction, not in the United mm -hmm. States. It was, I think it was in the UK. And the son said, Johnny Depp is a wife beater. Essentially, that's what they argued and or in the or discussed in this article. And Johnny Depp took took exception to that and said, I am not a wife beater and brings a defamation action. And he lost in the UK. So let's put ourselves, say that happened in the United States. Does that mean that the court found that Johnny Depp was a wife beater? No, and I think there's, that can be confusing. It means that Johnny Depp or whoever the plaintiff bringing the case brought it, they just didn't meet their burden under the law to prove falsity, prove all these other elements. So, right. so I think it's really important to keep in mind, and that's why these speech-related claims can be um, you know, difficult and confusing, and I wish they were a lot more rare. I think they can be very dangerous to freedom of speech. Wow. Um, but that's why the courts have put all these restrictions on them. Why do you think it could be dangerous to freedom of speech? Because you know, the damages, the, the threat of, you know, you and I are having this conversation. If we were concerned that it wouldn't be too hard for somebody to sue us for millions of dollars of damages for what's called punitive damages to punish us, we'd be more reluctant to have a freewheeling discussion. And that's what the First Amendment, when you're talking about issues of public concern, public debate. We want people to feel free to really engage in a back and forth without worrying that they might get sued. Let's dive down this road a little bit. Public figures, um, public officials, they have a different standard than the Joe Schmo guy, right? Than, than someone off the street. Tell me about that standard for them. 
Sure. So for a private figure, for just you know, guy on the street who's not famous, who's not a public official, the standards are different. They vary by state, but the general rule is that um, you, the the place that Joe would have to show that this false, the statement was false, um, that it was at least negligently made uh, in, in a way that was false and defamatory. So you don't have to prove that actual malice standard I mentioned. So mm-hmm. that the person was just careless, that would be enough for a, a private plaintiff. Um, and they need to show that it harmed them, that their, their, their reputation would have been damaged. Um, one of the things about a da- uh, defamation case is once you put your reputation uh, as, out there as the thing that's been injured, you're sort of putting yourself on trial. So hmm. the defendant gets to show, well, you know, your reputation was not very good. Uh, and so it, it's it's a that's why defamation cases kind of going back to where we started. Um, they're hard. They're hard cases, uh, but it's easier for a private person to bring a, a defamation suit in some ways because the First Amendment standards um, are are not as uh, strict. Fascinating. Richard Jewell was famously defamed and they believe there are people in the media for whatever reason, you could go watch the documentary if you haven't already on Netflix. Um, they believe that Richard Jewell was the Central Olympic Park bomber, a bomber, and his life just turned into a living nightmare. And and eventually, he was able to prove, or people proved his uh, his uh, innocence from that crime. And I remember back in the day, I watched. Uh, he went on famously went on 60 minutes and I'm dating myself now because I remember watching it. And I remember he said something to the effect of, um, well, uh, you know, the, 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 well, excuse me, the media, the, the, the guy interviewing him said, come on, you got X, Y, Z dollars for this. And, and he said, yeah, but you know what? People still ask me today. Did I do it? They still think I did it. They still think I was the bomber. This, that's what's so challenging when the media or you, something really gets out there about, you know, about my uh, reputation that damages it. Once again, that's kind of the flip side. As I was saying, you've got the First Amendment protections to right. encourage free speech, but that's, you know, that's not to say that, um, you know, that, that people can't be harmed by false and defamatory speech. And so that's why the legal system does say there are these claims, there, there are ancient claims that go back in our legal history. Um, because, you know, again, as a First Amendment lawyer, I'm usually defending against libel cases. But, you know, I always, you have to re- remember, there are important rights that people have. Uh, and that's why, you know, media companies are, are you know, they're, they investigate, they, they, they try to, they, they make sure they have good sources. Um, unlike, you know, a lot of politicians, some, when they make a mistake, oftentimes they correct it uh, because they know that it, it is important to, uh, you know, make sure that people aren't harmed by false, false statements. So that's why defamation law, while it, I completely endorse and agree with the strong First Amendment protections, uh, it's an it's a, an area of the law that exists to protect people's rights, and we have to respect that. 
One of the things that has come up a lot in certain jurisdictions um, is, especially jurisdictions like California, is something called anti-slap statutes, as strategic lawsuits against public participation. What are what are these statutes about? They have such a vivid title, right? Like yeah. you know, anything with the word slap, slap. It, you know, at least it gets your attention. Yeah. And what they the, the they are meant to do. Uh, is to make it harder to bring libel suits that are meant to really chill speech. So okay. you, you mentioned the, the public participation. So California, where I live, um, we have an anti-slap statute, one of the strongest ones. It, it, it holds that if the speech that's being attacked as defamatory is about an issue of public interest or public concern, then the standards under state law are, are triggered in a way that make it more difficult to prove the libel suit and it creates the ability to get a quicker dismissal and your the defendant can get their attorney's fees if they move to dismiss uh they file what's called a special motion to strike under the anti-slap statute so it's really meant to protect those first amendment freedoms and and to not allow lawsuits to be filed really just to deter truthful speech and to uh, about important public issues. So you can get your attorney's fees, which you usually can't get if you win uh, and, and you file a, a motion under the annex lap law as the defendant, which is really makes a big difference. and makes people think twice about bringing frivolous uh, and, and improper defamation suits. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to go down that road of attorney's fees. This is, this is expensive litigation, right? I mean, any litigation where you hire, have to hire an attorney is going to get expensive. And if Bob Sewell's plumbing company loses one client and amounted to $100 a month because of the deflammatory statement someone put out on social media, then that's really not going to be worth it to me to bring a, any sort of action. I might miss that $100 right? Because I like to go out for that steak meal once a month, but I'm not really going to bring an action because there's no attorney's fees in a defamation case, right? Generally speaking. um, Sometimes with a defamation suit, you can find lawyers to do them on a contingency basis. So Bob Sewell's plumbing might find a lawyer to say, I'm not going to charge you unless we win, Um, but they are expensive and there's their costs involved. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's not as clear cut, too, that you may think that what <laughs> someone said about your plumbing services, you know, that was false. They may have a pipe and say, look, this is what Bob put in my house. It's it's junk. You know, so then, right. then you're into this debate. Um, so that's why de- defamation lawsuits can be costly for the person bringing them, painful for everybody. Um, and and then as you again, kind of what, the way you started our discussion today. It's it's never like just super slam dunk, you know. It's right. it's, it's difficult, and and it's all about speech. So you have the First Amendment um, piece of it, and with these anti-slap statutes, it, they're sort of interesting too because it brings the falsity or the proof they have to the forefront. Right? They file a special motion, and then all of a sudden, the plaintiff has got to reveal his hand, right? He's good. This is what I'm holding. Exactly. That's a great point. And the defendant can, can bring in California, you can, when you're in state court, you can bring forth evidence that shows, no, the statement was true. And then the plaintiff has to bring forth their evidence. So you have kind of a instant, you know, 
put up or shut up kind of moment for the person bringing the case. So let me ask you a question. I want to, I want to leave first amendment for a second. I want to talk about the two Ted's. What are you doing with this? Yeah, it's really fun. So we, Ted Olson and I have worked together now for 33 years. My first assignment when I came to Gibson Dunn and, and, and one of the was, was with Ted on a, a big Supreme Court case in Washington. I had joined the firm because I wanted to work with him. And, and so it was really a lucky break for me that I was able to do it. So we figured uh, a podcast would be a nice, a nice way for us to talk about things, we cases we worked on together that have kind of a public focus. The one we just finished episode three, which I think we're going to um, release next week on, on the First Amendment, on cases that we've handled in the First Amendment area, including I handled the White House press pass battles for yeah. Jim Acosta and Brian Karam against President Trump. Um, and in other cases, I, I Ted, Ted represented the, the LA Times in the Charles Manson murder trial. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, I represented the, all the media companies and journalists in the Michael Jackson child molestation trial. So we talk, that's an example. We talk about those cases and then try to put them in the broader perspective of our, our legal system. It's really been enjoyable. We've actually been talking, we we're very, you know, very close friends, but we're we're talking more than ever now in connection with this podcast. And people always called us the two Ted's. So it gave us a title. You know, one of the fascinating things about lawyers generally, generally is they have the most outrageous stories, right? I mean, the things that come across our desk, you know, are stranger than fiction almost always. And so I I can't wait to hear more of these. I mean, <laughs> I'm certain your your career has been so interesting. So I'm certain these uh, are going to get better and better and more and more interesting. So I look forward to it. Well, thanks very much. And thanks for, thanks for inviting me to join you. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.